Okay, what we believe and why. We started this, um, by the way, it's good to be back with you. Um, I, uh, Nancy probably told you last week we had a church in our area that has been asking me, would you please just come and preach and then bless our church? And I said, sure, we'll, we'll do that one day. Well, that day came. And um, so that's where we were at and uh, had a good time. But I kept looking at the clock thinking, well, they're doing this now. And, well, they're doing this now. And um, I guess that's pretty common. But anyway, we started about three weeks ago. The first sermon in this series was on the Apostles' Creed. And the first sermon we did was about God the Father, who he is. And then the second one was about Jesus and the nine things that the creed said about him. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at another uh, creed, actually, a uh, confession. Um, it's called the Westminster. You ever heard of that? It's called the Westminster Confession and Catechism. And I don't know about you, but whenever, whenever I hear that word Westminster, you know what I think of? A dog show. I, I think, no, when I hear Westminster, I think of a bunch of snooty people leading a bunch of snooty dogs. And I have wished so many times when I, and I, I watch it every now and then, wild. And, and, and that black lab and then the puggle and just turn them loose in the middle of all that. Just see what happens. That would be fun. But the Westminster Confession and Catechism, plural, because the Westminster Confession has actually two catechisms in it. And I'll make it even more difficult to understand. But no, we're not going to cover all that. We're going to cover just one little tiny aspect that I wanted to bring out and, and, and share with us today. Um, do you remember what we said about the word catechism, what it means from that first sermon? It means to teach or instruct by question and answer. You know, the, the, the leader would ask the question and the people would repeat it back. Well, I did a little more research and I found out that not only was that a common practice, but there were so many people who could not read back then that this was a great way for them to learn to hear it and then have to repeat it back. Now, the Westminster Confession Catechism was written in 1647. And we talked about the Apostles' Creed, and that was from the very first century. So we're now skipping 1,300 years and getting to 1647 when the English Parliament called together leaders from the Church of England and I love the term. I, I wrote down what they said. They call them together. They call the learned, the godly, and the judicious. Doesn't sound like me either. But anybody, did anybody know how long this meeting last lasted? The Westminster meeting? Five years. It went for five years, um, and it was adopted by many churches. Um, and for the, about the last 300 years, your Reformed churches, Presbyterian and other Reformed churches, um, this is their declaration uh, of their doctrine. But there's something very interesting in there that I want to talk about. The, the Westminster Confession has a larger and a smaller. Um, the larger one had 196 questions, and the smaller one had 107. Now, that's not very important, but here's what I want you to write down. Taking action leads to an empty faith. Discovering answers without taking action, wrote the Westminster Confession. They wanted people 
They wanted people to not only have the answers to the theological questions, but they wanted them to not just sit on those answers. They wanted them to do something about it. And we're going to talk about one little aspect of that today. You know, I know a lot of people, and I mean, when I say that, I'm not exaggerating. A lot of people that go looking for answers, some of them to their spiritual questions, and then when they get the answers that they've gone looking for, they don't do anything with it. And that is sad, folks, because it may be even more tragic, and, and, and I hope this doesn't describe you, but there are people now in our society, and it has infiltrated the churches, they don't even want to ask the questions because they're afraid of the answer is going to make them have to change their life. And they don't want to change their lifestyle. They want to live the way they've been living. And, and so, um, but I'm telling you folks, um, what I've learned about spiritual growth in the last 40 years is you've got to act on the answers that you get, you know, or it, it means nothing. James says it better than anybody. James 1. Remember, this is a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. To listen and not obey is appearance. You see yourself, you walk away, and forget what you look like. So folks, answers without action just leads to an empty, weak, hollow faith. Okay? Are you with me still? Um, Doug Fields is the, um, guru of youth ministry. Um, for many, 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 many years, he was the youth pastor at Saddleback and he's conferences all over, written books galore. And a lot of us look to him, um, for, for ideas in the youth area. But I remember this story that he told a true story. He said when he was still ministering and pastoring, when I walked into that general assembly room was there was a row of about 20 chairs lined up there. And there were about 20 teenagers and they were sitting in the chairs and then jumping up real quick and they'd sit back down and then they'd jump up real quick. They were practicing getting out of the chair who could get out of the chair the fastest. And he said it was an odd thing to him. So he stopped and he watched for a while and then he asked some of them, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, we're practicing for the Bible quiz. See, there was this annual Bible quiz during this weekend retreat. And the idea was somebody would say a verse and whoever could jump out of their chair first and repeat it, they won the points for their team. And he said, man, these kids had all the answers. He said, all they had to work on was their quickness. And he said, this team that I saw there said, man, they dominated that night. They dominated every other group. He said, they were good. They had their little uniforms on and their matching shirts. And he said, man, they were just nailing the scripture. But he said, what was interesting about it was that throughout the weekend, he watched this group and he said they were a bunch of jerks. He said they, they were self-centered. They were cliquish. They were condescending to the other teenagers. He said they had all the right answers. They knew about the Bible, but he said it didn't impact. That's one of the things that I love about you, that I applaud you for, is that you're a church that allows me to not only tell you the truth, but... Here's how what we, now because of that, what I want to do is go after one little sliver of the Westminster Confession because it would, again, it would take years to tackle the whole thing. And some of you already look like you're glazed over. So we want to move on with this. 
So here's the thing. Both catechisms of the Westminster Confession both begin with the exact same question. And the exact same question is this, and you've probably heard it. What is the chief end of man? You ever heard that before? What is the chief end of man? I want you to fill in the blank. Man's chief end is to glorify God and love him forever. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. Now we're going to look at that and we're going to look 99% at the glorifying God because when you glorify God, you will enjoy him. Okay, so we're going to just talk about that right, right at the very end. And folks, let me let you know this. And I, I share this at nearly every funeral that I do, which is a lot. God is not afraid of your questions. Whatever you may want to ask, God is not afraid of that. You're not going to catch him off guard. You're not going to slip up on him with something. And if what Jed, I am the way, not a way, but he said, I am the way, I am the way, not a way, but he said, I am the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life and nobody gets to the father except through me. Well, folks, if that is true, then, then that's a pretty serious investigation that people need to make and they need to be asking these questions. So the Bible says this, that you were created to enjoy God, to worship God and in a way, and we're going to talk about what that means to glorify God. Okay, so let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Right? Now stay with me for a second here. I want to make sure we get this. The point of this verse is not go eat to the glory of God or go drink to the glory of God. The point is this. Ordinary as eating or drinking, do it for the glory of God as eating or drinking do it for the glory of God that's what it means here so what does it mean to glorify God well that's not as simple as to enjoy him we all kind of know how to enjoy each other you know being in each other's presence or whatever but I want you to write this down because this is important in order to get to how to glorify God we've got to first understand that the Bible teaches God is already glory I know this might seem like a minor thing, but stay with me here. In, uh, see, not only is he glory, everything about him, he fills the earth with his glory. The book, in, the Bible in Isaiah 6 says, they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his what? Glory. So folks, if God, think with me now, okay? If God is glory, then what can I do to glorify what's already glory? Right? You say, Lord, you think too much. Well, maybe so. But we don't give him glory in the same way that we give something to, to one another. See, you don't glorify what is already glory. Okay? Does that make sense? I don't give God glory. So here's the key. Here's the key. Write it down. All I can do, and you can key, here's the key, write it down. All I can do, and you can do, is recognize his glory and promote his glory. Amen? Recognize it and promote it. Because, I mean, he's already got it. 
And I like what First Chronicles actually in verse six or chapter sixteen says: "Declare, see, declare, not not give it to him, but declare his glory among the nations." So it's not about adding glory um, to him. Okay, here's a couple of examples. You don't make water wet. It already is wet, right? You don't make a rock hard. It already is hard. We don't give God glory. He wasn't sitting there without glory till we gave it to him. I mean, how puny would that be? God is glory. So what I want to do today is we're going to use our left hand and our right hand. And then I'm going to give you a quick homework assignment at the end. Okay, very, very quick and easy to do. So first of all, everybody, show me your left hand. And show me your right hand. Okay, this is going to be glorify God. This is going to be a joy him forever. All right, but we're going to spend almost all the time right here. All right, each finger is going to have a point of how we can glorify God. First of all is the thumb. What does the thumb mean? Be content. You glorify God when you're content. Now, how do I want you to remember that? Well, when you're asked... Um, How's it going? How are you doing? What do you do? Okay. Going good. Guy gets a 90 mile per hour fastball to the face or a guy gets uh, sandwiched on the football field and they've got the card out there and they're rolling him off. What does he do? If, if he can, if he's away, you know, I'm all right. You know, it's okay. So be content. Folks, contentment recognizes that you believe that God is contentment recognizes that you believe that God is a sovereign God, that God is all powerful. He's all knowing he's all good. He's everywhere. When I'm content, I acknowledge God, you are trustworthy. You are good. You are absolutely in control. So what do I do? I reflect that glory. That's how I can glorify God. Now on the flip side, if I'm discontented, what I'm really doing is I'm questioning God's wisdom. By the way, folks, um, unless you pray, and um, unless you pray, and unless you can learn to be content, my human nature and yours is too is to be discontented. That's where we usually go to be discontented. All right, so it's tough to be content. This world that we're in right now. This economy that we see what's going on and, and the, 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 the politics and the, the morality that we'll be talking about the next couple of weeks, the, the environment, the schools, you know, it, it just, it leads us to being discontented. So we have to learn. So we can learn from the apostle Paul. And when the apostle Paul wrote the words that we're going to just read in a moment, he was not staying at the best suite in the Ritz Carlton. He was in prison. When he wrote these words, so let's read them. Philippians four, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need for I have, what's that word? Learned to be what? Content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have, what's the word again? Learned. It wasn't natural. See, he had to learn it. The secret of being, what's that next word again? content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want, I can do this verse is 
this, we'll learn something about this today. The apostle Paul doesn't say here, well, I'm going to give God glory even if my life is upside down right now. He says, I'm going to give God glory no matter what. Good, bad, full, empty. I'm going to give him glory no matter what. Now, that's what it means to be content. You know what we do? We take Philippians 4, 13. The context is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength because I've learned to be content. Keep it in that verse there that Paul gave us. Because I've learned to be content. So, what does it mean to be content? What do you got? Thumbs up, right? Okay, remember that one. Now, let's go to the next one. The pointer finger. You say, what is that? Praise him. Praise him. Every once in a while, you'll see an athlete. Maybe he slaps a home run or scores a touchdown or something like that. And sometimes some of them that are believers, what do they do? You know, they point up, you know, and look up and point up. Of course, next day you see they were in a brawl on video or something. But anyway, but still, you know, point up. Praise is a way we glorify God. Praise is not just in song. When people say, oh, they got great praise and worship over there. Well, that's great. But song is just a part of it. You know, everything is to, is to glorify God and to praise him. Psalm 66. Shout joyful praises to God all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Folks, that's what praise is. Amen. The eight. Let them all praise the name of the Lord, for his name is very great. Let them all praise the name of the Lord, for his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth and the heavens. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, praise has got to be one of the habits of your life. That you give praise to him. So we got the two. Now we're going to go to the third, the middle finger. But I'm going to assume that you know where that's at. I'm not going to show you that. I thought about this. I'm a deep thinker. I thought about this and I said, no, you know, there's kids out there. They, they, they take videos. They got video, their phones. And sure as I do that, you know, they're going to show me doing that. Show me doing that. But I want you to write this down. Confess sins, because that's what you ought to do if that's, you're using that. Confess sins. How does confessing sin glorify God? Well, because we, when we confess our sin, it ushers in God's grace and God's forgiveness. And it lets people know how dependent we are on him. Folks, if you don't have this verse, the next verse, in your arsenal of memory, please put it there. If it's only one of a few, put it there. If we confess our sins he, to him, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. Here's the key is the word if. Because if I don't confess my sin... I'm not taking responsibility for it. And what is so common for so many people in America today, and that's why I'm preaching a whole sermon next week, is that people don't want to take responsibility. 
And it's like, the, I mean, we deal with it all the time here. It's like, oh, it's no big deal. And it's like, the, I mean, we deal with it all the time here. It's like, oh, it's no big deal anyway. Yes, it is a big deal. It really is a big deal. And let's be honest, folks. When we sin, is it easier to blame or take responsibility? It's easier to blame. It's easier to blame somebody. That's the first thing that, you know, with, with Adam and Eve. And God gave him, uh, you know, 500 and something fruits that he could eat. And only one said, I don't want you to touch it from that tree. And whenever he, uh, Eve does, and then gives it to him and he tree. And whenever he, uh, Eve does, and then gives it to him and he does, what does he say? He said, Lord, it was the woman. The woman you gave me, she made me do it. And then he goes even further. The blame goes even deeper. He says, you know, God, you're the one that said something about happy wife, happy life, not me. And, and, and by the way, Lord, you gave the woman to me. Read it. He says that. So Lord, really, if you want to get down to it, it's your fault. That's, that, you know, fault, I'm going to tell you, God's never at fault when we sin. Never at fault. Confession glorifies God. Because it acknowledges that he is holy, that he is righteous, that I need to be forgiven, and I want to connect with him. So it glorifies the Lord. Be, con- be content. Praise him. Confess our sin. Then we have the ring finger. Okay? The ring finger. Folks, <clears throat> this band does not make me married. It makes it known that I'm married. Okay, does that make sense? Known. Make him known. Known. Make him known. In Acts 14, it says, we've come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. People that turn, people that repent, who turn away from the world's way and living by the world's standards and its values and its morals. And when they turn to God and they live God's way, we call it, they're born again. You want to call it. But folks, let me tell you something. Are you listening? Only call it. But folks, let me tell you something. Are you listening? Only God can change a life. No pastor, no matter how passionate or good they may be, can change somebody's life. We just make him known. Only the Holy Spirit can change. When a life has been changed, life has been changed. All right, let's go to the pinky. Last one. I want you to write this down. It means to bear fruit. To bear fruit. What is that? That's the things that flow out of your life. In Galatians 5, it talks about how the the fruit of God's spirit, it says this is how it's revealed. And he goes on and he lists these things. He said, when God's fruit is in your life, you're going to have peace, patience, and love, and kindness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. And Jesus said in, in John 15, 8, my true disciples produce much fruit. This brings great what? Glory to my, 
to my father. So fruit is another way that we can give glory to God. Now, folks, you, you know, and I, I usually make this very clear. When it comes to works, you're not saved by them. It's not going to get you one step closer to heaven. You're saved by your faith in Christ and that alone. But once you become a believer, God expects us to bear fruit. So we enjoy, we, we glorify. So we enjoy, we, we glorify God and then we enjoy him. Amen. And if you'll do those things on the left hand, then you'll know what it's like to enjoy God forever. And it'll, just, it'll happen naturally. See, the, the, the writers of that confession, they made that one question the primary thing for a reason. And that is because that is the purpose of man that God put us on this earth. Now, here's your homework. Every time this week when you wash your hands or put on the Pirel or whatever it is, is that you're going to do, you've got to be content and praise him. I'm going to confess my sin, you know. Okay, I'm going to make him known. And I have fruit. And I, I, enjoy, I need to enjoy God while you're washing. Can you do that? While you're washing your hands. Now, close with this. Um... The Bible teaches something else. Every single person on the face of this earth that's ever been or ever will be or is right now, every single person, every celebrity, every Hollywood sports star celebrity, every politician, all of the Supreme Court justices, every justice in every le- at every level in America... Every one of them will one day glorify God, whether they want to or not. Because Paul said in Philippians 2, these words, he says, because of this, God raised him from the highest heights of heaven and gave him a name. We sang about that. Gave him a name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just don't let that day catch you off guard. Because it is going to happen. And everybody will bow. So let's pray. God, thank you for another day to be alive. And Lord, when we think about the meaning and purpose in life, we, and Lord, we need to learn to be content. We need to be, learn that you're worthy of our praise. We need to confess. What a privilege it is, Lord, to make you known to other people. And then to be able to bear fruit for you. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that may not know you. And right now, as as we pray, just in the silence of this time, that you would make the commitment. Don't leave the same person that you were coming in. And Lord, it really is. And we've tried to glorify you through making you known and through song we thank you we ask in Christ's name